God is good? All the time. All the time? All right. Amen. You guys are good. I never learned that growing up. You know, I didn't go to church growing up, but... And I learned it when I came out here to Austin, a friend of mine taught me that. He's like, yeah, you got to do that at church. Everyone will, everyone will <laughs> repeat it. But I like the saying. It's a good saying. Um, hey, I want to give you, just before I jump into the teaching, I want to give you a little bit uh, more information about the evangelism training that's going to take place starting next week. It's going to be at Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterian Redeemer right across the street from here. We're going to hold it there. And it's another church that's going to be involved as well and from East Austin, and a couple others have been invited, so we're not sure how many will come. But um, the intention of that is six weeks to focus on learning how to share your faith. But it's more than just that, really. It's, um, it's six weeks learning how to share your faith, learning how to help others who come to know Christ, grow in Christ, to make disciples. And ultimately, ultimately if you go all the way through it, you could... Um, it's really a church planting uh, strategy. And so we do a lot of outreach, myself and others, in East Austin, and we're involved in reaching into the communities here, and we're just going to do what we're doing. So we'll do an hour kind of in the class together, and then we're going to go an hour out into the East Austin to engage the community. And we go out and we pray for folks. We go to their homes and visit with them and pray with them and ask them, you know, if they'd like to learn more about Jesus. Some people are very interested. We actually get a lot of receptivity of people wanting prayer. So we pray for a lot of people in the community, and a lot of times they'll say, yes, please come back. I'd like to hear more about uh, Jesus. And so we'll go back and revisit them, share stories about Jesus from the Bible with them, explain the gospel to them. If they're interested, if they want to know Jesus, we'll lead them to Christ. And then we'll ask if we can begin coming back and meeting with them to help them grow in Christ. And so we have a few um, groups that are meeting now in East Austin from doing this, a few house churches. One group, uh, there's a whole family who come to Christ, and it's an adult children. There's about eight people who meet every week now. Three of them got baptized, and the others are really interested in learning uh, about getting baptized. So we're, we're, they're, they're very excited about growing and understanding who Jesus is or learning how to read the Bible, learning how to pray. And so we find a lot of receptivity in East Austin, and that's why part of the reason why we wanted to do this is to invite this church that meets in East Austin into East Austin to engage the community here. And, but it doesn't mean you just have to stay focused in East Austin. The things that you learn, you can take them back to your communities and to your, wherever you live or to your workplace. Daniel and Esther have been doing some of this over in, in, in Michael as well in their apartment complex and been meeting folks in their community there and praying for people and sharing with people. And we just see there's a lot more receptivity um, than we tend to think. You know, of course, some people are not going to be receptive and some people aren't, but mostly people are not very negative when we go out to just pray for them and, and care for them. Really, we want to care for the community. So if you're interested in that, 2 to 4 starts next Sunday at Redeemer. Just come one time if you want to just see, and then, but if you can stick with it, it's going to be six weeks, and it will build on itself, and hopefully you'll make some new relationships in the community, and who knows, you know, maybe you'll see someone come to know the Lord, and uh, hopefully you can help disciple someone in their faith. So that's, that's, that's kind of the bigger picture of it. Um, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into Genesis 17. Lord, thanks again for the opportunity to, for us to gather together here and meet. And uh, I just pray for clarity in my words, and I pray that uh, I would say what you want me to say, but, and I also pray that your, your spirit would speak into the hearts of the men and women here to, this morning, that you would speak what you want them to hear and the message they need to hear. And I pray you encourage and build and shape the church even this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So yeah, we're going to be in Genesis 17. So it's kind of part two from last week from Hagar, the story of Hagar and Abram and Sarai. And today we get to start calling Abram Abraham, finally, yes, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to do part two of this story. It's kind of part two of, of the theme of waiting on God. And when I was reading through this, uh, I wasn't super, like, you know, called to teach on this passage. I wasn't like, oh, I really want to teach on that passage. But Tori needed someone to speak on it, and I said, okay, I'd be willing to do it. But as I read through it, God began to speak to me through this passage. And I realized, you know, there's a lot in this passage about waiting on God. And last, last week was about that as well. And if we just review for a minute here, we look back at Abraham's life, right? <clears throat> he was 75 years old when God called him to leave his home and his family and go to a land that God was going to show him. So 75 years, he, he, he and his wife had been um, barren, like they hadn't had any children. And that's a long time. You know, these are people who, they wanted to have kids. I mean, most people who get married want to have children. You want to, to share the love that you have and you want to, it's kind of part of our DNA is that we want to bring more life into the world. And so they have wanted this in their lives for 75 years and they haven't been able to have it. And, uh, and they longed for it. I mean, obviously I know Sarai longed for it and Abraham probably longed for a son, and, but they never had this. And so at 75, God speaks to him. He says, guys, I want you to go. Abram, I want you to go to this land. I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you. And, and through you, I'm going to bless the nations. And I'm going to make a nation come forth through you. You're going to have an offspring. And, and, and you can imagine what they would have thought or felt in that time. But really? Is this for real? You know, we're 75, I'm 75 years old, but God spoke and he says, I'm going to have a kid. So there's got to be some sense of excitement, right, um, in that. And, and I imagine that first night back home was probably pretty exciting between he and Sarai, if you know what I mean, you know. You know, they've been waiting a long time. God spoke. It's going to happen, right? But it didn't happen. And so there's a lot of opportunities to have kids in the next 10 years that followed, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. 85 years old or 85 years old, 10 years, you know, they're waiting and waiting and waiting. When is this promise going to happen? Is it even going to happen? Was he daydreaming? Was this a vision, a hallucination? I mean, you can imagine there's lots of questions that would have gone on in the heart of Abram and also Sarai at that time. And finally, like we talked about last week, okay, he's 85 years old and Sarai's like, all right, you know, we got to make this thing happen, right? So why don't you just take Hagar, and, and maybe that's the way. And so Abraham listens to the voice of his wife, which that's a great verse. And next time, men, you're in an argument with your wife, you know, just say, hey, you know, Abram, he listened to the voice of his wife, and it didn't work out so good for him. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. Um, obviously, he just listened to the voice of someone other than God. It could be your spouse, it could be a friend, it could be a parent, it could be a teacher. But he listened to someone other than God and he followed that word instead of God's word and it didn't go so well, right? It didn't go so well. All kinds of a mess, a big mess. They took the, this, this into their own hands and they thought, okay, well, we're going to make this promise come true. We're going to figure out how to make it happen. We're going to do it ourselves. And last week, they talked about the big mess that came out of it. Problems within their relationship, problem with Hagar, 
Ishmael's born, she runs away. There's all kinds of complications and because of that. But not only in that time, but for years and centuries to come. Right? They say that this guy's going to be a wild donkey of a man. His hand is going to be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. So centuries later, we're still seeing some of the implications of that decision, that sin that happened so many years ago. Because there's been lots of conflict in the Middle East. There's been conflict between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, who's going to be the child that will be born. And, you know, thousands of years later, there's a whole big group of people in our world, and they all trace their heritage back to Ishmael, Islam. They trace their heritage, that they are the heirs of Ishmael. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, there has been implications to this one decision which they did not follow God's voice. So I think we should take that seriously in the sense of the decisions that we make when we trust or don't trust God have implications for years and years and years to come. And so they decide they're going to take it into their own hands. They have this child and there's problems that are involved. And then what happens next that text ends saying Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So he's 86 years old. The very next verse, in verse, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Okay, so now you just have this gap of 13 years. Nothing in between. We don't know that God spoke to Abram at all. But now there's 13-year gap. There was a 10-year and then a 1-year if he was 85, and then he had him when he was 86. And now there's a 13-year. So it's a 24-year gap between when we know that God spoke to Abram. So we don't hear that God says anything to him during this time. Maybe he did, but not that we know of. Right? So this is a long period of time where this man had some powerful encounters with God some significant encounters, hearing God's voice, promises, even seeing God, and now for 24 years, nothing. You know, what do you think went on in this man's heart? I mean, the first 10 years, of course, there was probably tons of doubting and questioning what's going on. Did we really hear from God? And then they take it into their own hands, and now another 13 years and nothing. They're not hearing from God. What were they thinking, both of them, during this period of time? Maybe some sense they were excited because there was a child, right, Ishmael. And maybe this is him. And in, in, in their minds, they may have thought, this is it. It, it worked. We got him. This is the one. But you've you got to think that somewhere in this man's heart, there was some questioning too. Did I do the right thing? I haven't heard from God. Is this it? Did I make a mistake? You know, am I on the right path or not the right path? And... He doesn't know at this point. God's voice is absent. God's voice is quiet. I don't know if you've ever gone through periods of your life where you maybe have feel like you've heard from God, but then God's voice is quiet. Where is God? I'm not hearing from God. Am I on the right path? Am I on the right road? Am I going the right direction in life? Where is God? Why is he not speaking to me? Why is he not talking to me? Is it because I made a mistake? And so all these things had to be going on in this guy's mind. And I, I know it because I've been in the middle of it, and I feel like I still am kind of in the middle of it in some ways. For <clears throat> nine years, we moved back from the Netherlands nine years ago. My wife and I were in the Netherlands. And we felt like God was leading us back for a number of different reasons. But we didn't know where he was leading us to. 
So when we moved back, we ended up in Michigan for a little while because that's where I'm from. Worked on a farm for a few months because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And then we moved to Asheville, North Carolina because we got invited to help with a church plant. We moved there, and a year and a half into it, it, it fell apart. There wasn't funding, there wasn't a team, and we had moved our family to this other city. The church plant fell apart. I got another job. I'm working at a garden, gardening store in a warehouse, sweeping the floor. And one day I'm sweeping the floor, I'm just thinking, Lord, what are you doing in my life? You know, like I was doing ministry in the Netherlands, really loved it, and seeing God do great things. Felt like you were leading us here, and now this thing is falling apart, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm working in this warehouse making, you know, 10 bucks an hour. What, what am I doing? doing with my life? Why am I here? And I felt like God's voice was quiet, and I prayed, and I didn't know what God was doing, and where are you, God, and what, did I make a wrong decision? Did I, did I, should I not have come here? Should I not have led my family here? Was I listening to you? Was I not listening to you? And I wrestled, and I wrestled in my heart. I didn't know I was going to get uh, emotional. But we, we saw the Lord. We felt like he's, he was leading us out of Asheville to Austin, Texas. So that was a long process. I won't bore you with it. But we end up in Austin, Texas to help with a church here that had been around for a long time but was kind of dying. And we were kind of a last-ditch effort, hope of maybe someone could come in to help pastor this church and bring it back to life, and a year and a half into it, we realized it wasn't going to happen, and we had to close the doors on this church, and that was a hard process again. So now we're come here to do this one thing, and now this church is closing too, and now what am I doing with my life again, and I got to figure out what I'm doing, and I try to start this business of cleaning pools and, and uh, to try to make things work and make ends meet, and at first we started the house cleaning business, and then we, that was too much, and we sold that, started a pool cleaning business, and I, God, I feel like, God, you called me to do ministry. I know you've called me to do ministry. I know I've heard your voice. And I want to be faithful. I want to serve you. But yet, what, what did I, why did we come here? Did I come here? Did I make a bad decision? No, I think I heard from you, Lord. I know I came here because you led me here. What are you trying to teach me? You have all these questions go on. And in this process, it's about nine years. I feel like I'm still in the middle of it. And in this process, um, and maybe you've been in a similar process. Maybe it's just different. You know, maybe you're in a process where you're going through a challenge or a trial or a difficulty. Or maybe you're wishing or hoping for something that's going to happen in your life and it's not happening the way you thought it would happen or imagined it to happen. Or maybe you're not old enough to have all those experiences yet, but someday you will. You know, maybe you're hoping and wishing you would be married, but you're not married. Or maybe you're hoping you're wishing you'd be somewhere in your life, in your career, which you're not. Or maybe you don't know which direction you're going. You're kind of lost in your career, where you're even going in life. God, where are you? What are you doing in my life? What's your plan for my life? Maybe you want children, but you can't have children. God, where are you? What's going on in my life? And God uses these times to press us. He uses these times to refine us. He uses these times to prune us. He uses these times to weed out things in our heart, in our lives that we love and we trust in more than Him. And He wants to break us and refine us so that we trust in what is ultimately the best for us, which is Him, and we find Him in a deeper way in the midst of these trials. He wants to shape us, build us, and reveal Himself to us, but it's not easy. 
It's not easy. Romans 5.3 says, <clears throat> Paul says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Yeah, who rejoices in their sufferings, right? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And it goes on to say, hope does not disappoint us. We can rejoice in our sufferings when we know and we see that these sufferings will produce endurance in us and this endurance can produce character in us and this character produces hope because why? Because we're being changed. We are being changed into something better. We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. We are learning to, to trust in God and we're seeing God's goodness and it's developing a character inside of us that is more like Christ and it produces greater hope in our lives because we're changing for good. And God disciplines us and he takes us through these trials. And he does, it's not unique to you or me. It's for everybody who wants to follow God. It's part of the process. And we see it when we go into the scriptures. There's all kind of biblical examples. I mean, Abraham's one, but the next one is Jacob. Seven years, he waits for a wife. And then he gets the wife he didn't think he was going to get. And then he has to wait seven more years to get the right wife. And this whole process, God is working on this man's character. And then there's Joseph who gets slayed, sold to a slave at 17 years old from his family. You know, I mean, imagine your, your brother's selling you as a slave at 17 years old, and you're, you're a slave, and then you're put in jail, and it's not until he's 30 years old, 13 years, until he sees God do something through his life. Imagine God is working in that man's life for 13 years. Then there's Moses who thinks he's going to do something great for God. And yet it doesn't turn that out that way, and he has to flee his country, Egypt, his family, and he goes, lives who knows where in the wilderness for 40 years, when this guy's 40, now another 40 years before he hears from God again. And God's working in this guy's heart and his life during these 40 years. David is called as a young man, but yet he goes through all kinds of troubles and trials and difficulties. God's anointed him to be king, but he doesn't become king over Israel for 22 years later. And all this time, hardship comes and difficulty comes and trials come into David's life. And yet he is a man of faith and he sets an example for us to be people who continue to wait on God because he kept trusting in God. He kept trusting in God in the midst of those trials and those difficulties. And so when we go through these things, our question that's going to come to us is, will we wait on God? Will we trust him? Will we wait on him? Will we believe that he's good? Will we believe that he's good? Or will we let go and take it into our own hands? You know, we live in an instant gratification culture, right? Everything we want's at our fingertips. But God's way is not that way. We live in a microwave culture, but God's the crock pot kind of God. You know? <laughs> it takes long and slow, simmering it but he's building something more flavorful <laughs> in our lives, right? All kinds of scriptures about this. I mean, we could go on. I could just read scripture after scripture after scripture, but we'll just read a couple here. Psalm 27, this is David, verse 13. says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. This is when he was going through really, really hard times, he wrote this. He's believed, I'm going to see God's goodness. I'm going to see God's goodness. So then he tells the reader, you too, wait for God. Be strong. Don't give up. Take courage. Keep waiting. Keep persevering. Keep enduring. Psalm 33, 2021, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Again, this was in the midst of difficulty, but they say God is our health and our shield. We will wait and we will trust in him and we will hold on to him even though we can't see the answers in front of us, even though before us it doesn't look clear, even before us it may look dark, but we'll hope in God because we're going to trust that he's good. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. I like that. He waits to be gracious to us. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Again, the truth. God is good. God is just. He wants to bring good. He's waiting to bring good into our lives. Will we wait for him for the right time, his time, not my time? And that's hard. It's hard to wait on God. It's difficult. God is not always in the business of giving us what we want when we want it, but he is in the business of making us into what he wants us to be. And that's part of the process of following him, that he's going to make us into who he wants us to be. And he's going to do that work in our lives. But will we cooperate with God in the process? That's true success, is a cooperating with God in the process of what he's doing in our lives. But the second thing that God wants to do in our lives is he wants to shape our character, but he wants to reveal his character. And this is what we're going to see him do with Abram here. This is a pretty neat thing that happens because God's going to reveal an aspect of himself that has not been revealed yet in the scripture. So in verse 17, it says, when Abraham... Chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk with me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give, you, give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Cana. And and for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Boom. Bam. 24 years, and then bam. He speaks, right? He speaks, and he shows up to Abraham. Now, Abraham. He shows up to Abraham, and he reveals himself as the God Almighty. This is the first time this is used in the scripture. The El Shaddai. And Abraham is confronted with this God in a way that he has never been confronted with God yet. And he's seen God. He's experienced God. But now he's going to experience him in a deeper way. Walk before me. Be blameless. Abraham hasn't been quite blameless, right? What's he do? He falls on his face. And he falls on his face. Abraham hasn't fallen on his face in the other times he encountered God. But this time he falls on his face because he knows, man, he's in the presence of God Almighty, an almighty, powerful God. And he is a sinful man and he is not blameless. He's encountered, he's experiencing God in a new kind of way. And then what's God do, right? 
He doesn't rebuke him for his lack of faith. He doesn't correct him. He just tells him, he shows him that he, God, is faithful to the promise that he made to him. He says, I'm going to do this, Abram. I'm going to do this. I'm going to establish my covenant with you. You've been unfaithful, but I'm not. I'm going to be faithful to my work. Despite Abram's failure, God's going to fulfill the work that he started in his life. He's going to bring it to completion. And it should remind us to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, I, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for that verse. Thank you, God, that you are going to do the work in me and you're going to fulfill the work in my life. And it's not just about me. It's not just about me. It's about you and what you're doing in me. God is faithful. And you see, the story of the Scripture is about God's faithfulness. It's not about man's failure. It's about God's faithfulness. Adam and Eve failed. Cain and Abel, Abel didn't have a chance. Cain failed. Noah fails. Abraham fails. But who doesn't fail? God doesn't fail. God does not fail. He doesn't fail. Even when this guy had failed and he didn't do what God wanted him to do, God shows him his faithfulness and he shows him his grace, right? I mean, just how much grace does he just give him right here? Which grace is undeserved favor, right? Abram doesn't deserve any of this. But God just pours it on him right here. He pours it on him. He says, you know what? You're going to be not just a father of a nation, but a multitude of nations. And kings are going to come from you. And you're going to be exceedingly fruitful. And then he says, you're gonna, this is going to be an everlasting covenant. He hasn't said that before, but now he says it. This is going to be an unending, an eternal covenant. I will be their God. I will be their God forever. Wow. I just think it's so cool how much God just pours out his love and his grace on this man who completely doesn't deserve it. And you just imagine, man, I, he hasn't heard from God for 24 years, and all of a sudden he just gets poured out with this amazing promise. Wow, Lord, you're still there. Wow, even though I messed up, I, I guess I didn't totally mess it all up. You're still going to do your work. You're still going to accomplish it in my life. You're still going to fulfill this thing that you, you had told me so long ago. But then God gives him one requirement, right? He gives him one requirement for this promise. In verse 9, he says, And God said to Abram, Abraham, I keep saying Abram now, stuck in that thought. He says to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offsprings after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought, bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
So God gives them a requirement. He says, this is my covenant. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it, but I'm asking you to do one thing. I'm asking you to do one thing. I'm asking you to perform circumcision on you and everybody and all the kids that are born to you at eight days old. There's going to be a sign now, and I'm going to make a sign, and it's going to be a sign in your flesh. You're going to cut part of your flesh off. I'm sorry for the bad image here, okay? I'm going to cut part of your... It's not me. I, I didn't write this. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to cut part of your flesh off because this covenant is not going to be accomplished by the flesh. It's going to be accomplished by my spirit, and there's going to be a sign for you and your people for the all time that this is going to be a covenant that's going to be by the Spirit. And it's going to be in your body. It's going to be a mark on your body that the flesh is going to be cut off. And I'm going to accomplish this work in you. Now, this was a very important promise, obviously, to the Jewish people. That God would carry this work out. And, and, and there's a reason why he says the eighth day. Why does he say the sixth day? Why doesn't he say the seventh day? Why not the tenth day? Right? Seven days have been talked a lot about, right? Seven days of creation, perfection, right? But then this is the eighth day. One plus seven is eight, right? So in the scripture, yes, I can count. I can do math. So in the scripture, eight is the, uh, represents a new beginning or a new creation, Seven days of perfection, this is going to represent the new creation, the new day, the new beginning. 49, seven times seven is 49, plus one is 50. The day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes on the 50th day. We meet on the first day of the week as a church, seven days. The seventh day is actually Saturday. We meet on Sunday, which is the eighth day, kind of, or the first day. It's the eighth day, which is the new day, the new beginning of what Christ has done for us. So they're to be circumcised on the eighth day because this is going to be carried out by the Spirit of God and it's going to be a sign of the new creation that's going to come in Christ. So this becomes a big controversy, and I don't have the time to go over all the controversy, but if you read Galatians and you read Colossians and other parts of the New Testament, this circumcision issue becomes a big controversy. Do the Jews need to be circumcised or not? Paul says no. Others say yes. But Paul knows that this is a sign in the flesh for something that's going to take place in the heart through the Spirit of God in every man and woman who come to Christ. That what really matters is a circumcision of the heart, that our flesh is cut off in a sense, and the Spirit comes in and renews us and regenerates us through the Spirit of God. And so, actually, uh, God himself says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, I think it's up here, and the Lord God will circumcise your heart and your heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. He said that this was going to take place at some point. In Romans 2, 28 through 29, Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And Galatians 6, 15 says, For neither circumcision nor counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation is what counts. The eighth day is what counts. The new creation that God's going to make through His Spirit. 
So what's going to happen through Jesus is that Jesus is going to save us, not by our flesh, not by our power, not by our work. It's going to be by his work. It's going to be by his power. It's going to be by his deliverance, fulfilling the promise to save us. And he's going to renew us. He's going to regenerate us through his spirit. And that's going to be the ultimate true circumcision. And Paul says that's what matters most. That's all I'm going to go into that. I know there's more we could talk about it. But, but, but God goes on to, to keep sharing with Abraham this message, okay? In verse 15, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations, and kings of people shall come from her. So now we see God's grace being poured out on Sarah too, right? Even though she had made a, made a bad decision, God's going to bring it back, and he's going to bless her. When Abraham fell on his face, then Abraham fell on his face, and he falls on his face a second time, but it says, and this time, he laughs. He fell on his face, and he laughed. Can you just imagine that? <laughs> You know, just, what is that visual? He's, you know, he's just laughing. He's laughing. This is ridiculous, right? I don't think he's laughing because of joy. You know, sometimes you laugh because of joy. You're just, ah, oh, it's so funny. I think he's just laughing because this is just, this is just ridiculous, right? He, he, he can't imagine. This is like a yeah, right, God laugh. Yeah, right, you know? So he's laughing, and he says to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's like, this is crazy. God, this is, I, there's no way I can have kids. You know, even his faith is doubting here. But just maybe just let it go through Ishmael. Can you imagine he's even saying this to God? And then God says, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call him, well, you should call his name Isaac. What is Isaac? You shall call his name He Laughs. That's what Isaac means. You know, <laughs> it's hilarious. Abraham, no, no, your wife's going to have a, a son, and you're going to call him He Laughs. You laugh now, Abraham, but you'll see, right? You're going to see. I'm going to do this. It's impossible for you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be a miracle. Obviously, it's a miracle. He's 100 years old. She's going to be 90 years old. This is a miracle. This is something that cannot take place naturally. It's a miracle. It should remind us of the miracle of the virgin birth. It should remind us of the miracle of the resurrection. It should remind us of the miracle of us being born again through the Holy Spirit. It's not by our work. It's by God. He redeems us. He saves us. He did it all. And he's going to do it here and he's going to prove it to them. This is not by you. It's nothing to do with you. This is me. This is completely me. I'm going to do this work. And he says, I, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And this is really neat, too, because this is the son of a mistake, and yet God's going to give grace to this son, this child, and, this, and he's going to bless them, too. Even the mistake, God's going to bless. Even the mistake, God's going to... God's going to bring good out of it. And thank God that he can bring good out of our mistakes. Amen? Thank God that he can bring good even when we make mistakes, when we go the wrong way and we question ourselves, oh, I made this mistake. Oh, God's not happy with me. He's quiet. He's not talking to me. I don't hear him. It's because I did this. I did that. I did this. 
but God shows us, and let us learn here, but God is good. Even when we make mistakes, He can bring it back into good, and He can even bring good out of our mistakes. <clears throat> that shouldn't be an excuse to do mistakes, but He can bring good. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him to a great nation, but I will establish my covenant, covenant with He laughs, whom Sarah, your shall bear to you at this time next year. Here it comes. He gives him a date. It's coming now. This time next year, it's going to happen. The promise is going to be fulfilled. So when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those who were born in the house and brought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. I love that just that very, the immediacy of his obedience. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abram, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those brought, bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now, Abraham has a chance to obey God. God has given him something to do, and he does it right away. I can just imagine. I mean, I can just imagine. I've been waiting 24 years to hear from you. I've made this mistake. I've been wondering, are you there? Are you not there? And now he appears to God, or God appears to him. He blesses him with this promise and pours out this grace. And now Abraham is just like, all right, all right, I got to circumcise him. I'm just going to do it right now. I, I just want I just, I just to do this for God. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, 99 years, you don't even want to picture this, right? The, 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 you know, when, when we were in the Netherlands and my son got circumcised, they don't do circumcision there. So we had to go to a back alley circumcision place, yeah, in, a, in an area that was, a town that was all Muslim. And so we had to go in this place and, and I, I had to like hold my son down while they circumcised him. It was really intense. And you know, this little kid, it's screaming, my son screaming. I mean, it was painful. And as we were going out, there was another kid who was in there who was like 10 or 11 years old, and he was waiting in the room. And as we were leaving, we could hear him screaming from the back room, right? I mean, I mean so that's like in modern day time where you have some like medical, uh, you know, like help uh, with anesthesia and all that stuff. But this was back in a time where they didn't have that stuff. They all get circumcised. It was terribly painful. But listen, obedience to God is painful. It's painful. Waiting on God is hard. It's hard. Waiting on God is hard. Dying to yourself every day is hard. It's hard. It's hard doing God's will sometimes. Our flesh wants to do something different. It's hard. Not giving up, enduring, persevering. When you don't see God answering your prayers and not giving up, not taking it into your own hands, it's hard. Forgiving those who hurt you because you know God wants you to forgive them, it hurts, it's hard. Waiting for that husband or wife when you just want a, someone close to you, a companion, it's hard. 
It's hard. You can take it into your own hands. You could get it done. You could marry someone. You could go on the internet. There's lots of Russians who will marry you. <laughs> you can do it. But waiting on God for God's time and God's way is hard. Our culture says get it now. Get everything you want now. Get your sexual fulfillment now. Get it all at, when you want it, at your time. But that's not the way God works. His time is different. And obedience is painful. But it's good. But it's good. God's way is better. And the promise we have is a great promise. I mean, it's better than this promise. They had a great promise. But our promise is Jesus himself, you know, the Son of God. And we are in a period of time where we're waiting for him. We're waiting for him. I know we're waiting for good things in this world. We, we like good things in this world. We want to wait for those things and the hopes that we have, and the, you know, for a good career and a good future and a good children. We want those things. We long for things. I want those things. But our great and ultimate promise is Jesus himself. Jesus is going to come back, and that's what we're waiting for. This messed up, wrecked world is going to be made right. Jesus is going to make it right. Jesus is going to end the pain and the problems and the injustices and all the brokenness in this world. He's going to come back, and he's going to make it right, and that's what we're waiting for, and that's what our hope is in. That's the promise. That's the ultimate promise. He's coming back. Mark 13 talks about him coming back, and he said, no one knows the hour or the day. But don't fall asleep while you're waiting for him to come back, he says. Be watchful. It might come at any time. James 5, 7 through 8 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Oh, Lord, that we would establish our hearts. For Jesus' coming is at hand. Jesus is coming, and he's going to bring good. He's going to bring so much good. I mean, it's going to be so much better than anything you could ever wish you could ever have in this world. He's going to bring good. He's going to right the wrongs. Trust in him. Hold on to him. Wait for him. Wait for him. There is a word that God will speak to those who wait for him, and it is well done, my good and faithful servant. I hope I hear that word. I hope I hear that word. And God is a very gracious God, and I know I've made my mistakes. I still hope that God's going to speak those words to me. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful until the day I die. I pray I would. I pray God would give me the grace to do it. And I pray he'd give you guys the grace to do it too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, thank you for your grace. I just could cry. I just just how gracious you are. You're just so gracious. You're so kind. Even your patience, your patience is kindness to us, Lord. You withhold judgment. You're gracious. We deserve wrath and judgment, yet you give us good things and blessings and you give us salvation. You give us Jesus. You give us hope. You give us eternal life. You give us an inheritance into your kingdom, into your family forever and ever and ever. And all the glory of the kingdom of God, you say, is going to be ours. And Lord, we don't deserve it. And we're like Abraham. And we take things into our own hands. I know I am. 
Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. I pray you, Lord, you just help everyone in this room be strengthened and strong in the spirit and steadfast and faithful. <clears throat> steadfast and faithful. Help them to hold on to you and trust in you and not give up and not get discouraged. I pray you give them courage and strength every day. And God, help our eyes be set on you, the hope of our salvation. And we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.